hang on. Perfection forever. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more heartache, and Christ has it in hand. And all of God's people said, Amen. Well, it's great to be here with you. Great to be worshiping with you, whether you're here in person or joining us online. Man, we are excited to be making much of Jesus Christ. May he get all the glory. And all of God's people said, amen, man. It is all about Jesus Christ. Don't miss that. It is always about our King. And so, hey, we're in a series here that's called the Revelation of Jesus. In fact, we're walking through the book of Revelation, the whole last book of the Bible. And we're in the first three chapters of that. And so we've titled that piece, Wake Up Call. This is a call to the church of we're living in a world that is living against Christ, not for him at all. What does that look like? How does that work? How should we be responding? It's a wake-up call to the seven churches that are right in close proximity to where John was at. John was given this revelation from Jesus, and he was asked to share it out with those right there in the Asia area. And so these seven churches, these seven letters, are to specific real churches back in the time of John, real things going on that we can learn from and apply in our lives today. May God get all the glory, right? So as we go after it, wake up call. It's a call for each of us individually and for us as a church. May God get all the glory, okay? That said, do me a favor. Turn with me, if you will, to Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 18. Revelation 2, starting in verse 18, and we're going to dive in and get after it. This is the sixth week in your book there, so you can turn to that and uh, start taking the notes there in your uh, booklet that we've got on this Revelation series. Point number one, love your God and love others, but never confuse love with tolerance. Love your God and love others, but never confuse love with tolerance. Let that settle for a moment. Never confuse love with tolerance. We're gonna talk more about this as we walk through this passage. We're gonna make it really clear what this scripture is saying about that. And let's make sure that we understand and we're going out with a good plan in mind along the way. But it starts with love God and love others. May he get all the glory, all right? So let's start in verse 18. He says, and to the angel of the church in Thyatira, the words of the son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. He says, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. Let's hold right there. He says, and to the angel of the church in Thyatira. So again, each of the letters starts out with this exact same statement, and to the angel of, and then it's that specific church. Remember, the word angel means messenger. That can be a messenger from God to man. So that word angel is kind of what we always think of, the kind of the supernatural being, the angel, who is a messenger from God to man. But it also can just mean a message human to human, right? And so a messenger person to person. And that's probably what this is. John's being challenged to write and, and challenge the pastors, the messengers of each of these churches. And so, and to the messenger, to the pastor, of the church of Thyatira. Now, let's talk a little bit about Thyatira. The word itself first, you can say it Thyatira, like I'm saying it. Some have say Thyatira, okay? Actually, in the Greek, it's in the original language word, it's actually Thuatira. So, we're just going to say Thyatira, okay? And all of God's people said, 
All right, so we'll go with that Thyatira as we walk into this. Now, Thyatira was a very small uh, little city. It was a business city. It wasn't like some of the other cities we've looked at so far. We've already gone through three different churches, and some of those cities they came from were massive. And not only were they big, but they were like capitals, and so there was huge influence from the governmental arenas and all of that. It's not that. These are kind of a small business town. If you want to say it this way, it's like it's built of tradesmen. It's almost like a blue collar town, okay? And so they're doing things with their hands. They're real good at doing product and product sales in that regard, but they're like tradesmen or craftsmen in that regard. The two craftsmen or crafts that they went after most, number one was they did kind of a purple dye sort of thing. Dyeing things a color purple was very difficult back then. And so they happened to land a way of doing it that would last over time, and they could actually um, dye things purple and then sell them. So they were sellers of purple. And in fact, maybe you've heard that phrase before. Uh, Lydia was actually called that in the book of Acts, a seller of purple. Well, we're actually told in Acts, she's from this city. She's from Thyatira. So she learned how to do the kind of the dying in purples that would last and then selling those out. That was Lydia in the book of Acts. And that's this city. So one is the selling of purple. And then the other thing that they did a lot of was bronze. They made things in bronze and then they actually polished it up real high. So you had artwork kind of elements. You had materials and tools that were made that way. They were huge into bronze and bronze sales. And in fact, they were big at polishing that bronze to a level that most didn't accomplish. And so they had a very unique sales in that regard. Both of those are kind of important and you're gonna see them kind of come up as a trades and crafts element and some of what they deal with in just a moment, all right? So that is Thyatira a small trade city with a lot of crafts elements and hard workers, people that worked hard and went after business in a big way. All right, that said, Jesus says to him, the words of the son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. He starts out, Jesus introducing himself. Everybody say, this is Jesus, right? He's introducing himself and he says, uh, the words of the Son of God. Now this is a big deal. He's introducing himself as the Son of God. Back in Revelation chapter one, he introduced himself as the Son of Man, kind of the fulfillment of Daniel, and saying, I am that guy, the one coming on the clouds, the one who will rule forever. But here he says, Son of God. He's beginning to place himself in the Godhead, but it's a bigger deal than that. Remember, all of these towns, these seven cities of churches, they live pretty close to each other, within tens of miles of each other, right? And so they're all struggling with similar things. And one of the things these guys had to struggle with is the Roman emperors pushing down on them emperor worship. The emperors needed to be treated as gods. And you needed to call them God and you needed to worship them as God. In fact, the way they did that is they would say, you need to call me, ready, son of God. That was the way you worshiped. You recognized them as somehow being born from the gods and they themselves are now a God, a Godhead. Okay, so son of God was what the emperors were declaring. It's what all these churches had to stand against. So it's a huge deal. So when Jesus starts it out and he says, the words of the son of God, 
He's actually thundering it for them. They had to put a smile on their face. He's like, listen, the words of the one who is actually the Son of God, the words of the one who is to be worshipped, who you are to bow before, that's who's talking to you right now. Jesus Christ giving a little bit of his resume and thundering it forth. He's like, not them, me. That's where we're at, all right? So that's the first piece. It says, Jesus, the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze, eyes like a flame of fire. You can kind of picture sort of an image and the eyes are like this bright red, flaming red kind of color, right? And uh, you know, if you imagine it, just sort of picture that picture with the bright eyes, right? Your first statement when you see that is not, oh, how sweet. Right? That's not our response. When you see eyes like fire, you're like, I don't know what's going on with it, but it's intense, right? For sure, it has to do with his perceiving abilities, right? Jesus' discerning abilities, ability to see what's going on inside, ability to understand that, but probably more than that, also his ability to bring righteous judgment. His eyes being flaming fire, speaking of his discerning righteous judgment. May God get all the glory. He's like, know this, I am the one to be worshiped and I do have amazing insight to all that's going on. Yes, the flames of fire. And then it says, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Now remember, we just got done talking about bronze. So again, he's making a connection with this church and he's like, listen, you do work in bronze all the time. Burnished means like high polished, like massively shining, unbelievable, sort of like top shelf bronze. And he's like, my feet are like that top shelf bronze. Why is he saying that? Well, in the Hebrew culture, the foot was considered one of the most dirty or humble or lowly pieces of the body, right? The foot, he's like, my lowliest part of me is the, it's more lofty than anything you can create. Burnished bronze, like the, the foot of me, higher and bigger than anything you guys are doing. You need to know and understand who you're worshiping. He's placing himself as over all, and even over all that's going on in Thyatira. It's a huge deal as Christ delivers himself up, right? Now he says, with his discernment and his understanding, I know your works. Now, this is a good thing coming, and he's about ready to compliment them, but he's like, yeah, I've got an understanding and a perception of all that's going on in your life, and he speaks of the tasks that they're going after and their worship of Jesus Christ. He's like, yeah, I know your works. He says, your love and your faith and your service and your patient endurance, your love. This word is actually from the word agape. It means sacrificial in your love. There's this care for others, but you're laying yourself on the line. Sacrificial love at every level, this agape love. And so great job with the loving. And then he says, and your faith. Like they believe that Jesus is risen from the dead. They believe he's alive. They confess him as Lord, they are in. And no matter what the pressure, they stand with Jesus. Their love for God and others, their faith along the way. This is a church on fire. They're believing in Jesus Christ. They're trusting with all they've got. They're caring for people around them with love. And it says, and service. They end up bringing helps and care inside the church as they care for one another, for the needs around them. 
And this church is rocking it. They are on fire. There is a love and a passion and a faith and a care. And this would be a great church to be able to see and to be able to know and to be a part of. And that's what he's saying. Nice job. You are crushing it in my name. Keep doing so well. He says, yes, your love, your faith, your service. And then he says, and your patient endurance. Your patient endurance. And uh, we've seen this word several times already in the beginning of Revelation. This endurance, right? Whatever washes on your shore that you're putting up with well, you're enduring it well. But remember, it's not just endurance, it's patient endurance. That's a huge deal, right? We can endure very annoyed the whole time. Annoyed endurance is not what he's talking about, right? He's talking about what's washing on shore, what's coming in. You are patient along the way. In fact, the word in the original language means to take a pack on your back and remain under that weight well. To remain under well. That's what it really means. Patient endurance. Handling it with worship still intact. These guys have a church that is on fire. They are doing a great job along the way. And Christ is lifting them up. And he says, and that your latter works exceed the first. And they're growing in Jesus Christ. Their latter works exceed the first. They're growing in Christ with all that they do and go after. If you remember back a couple of weeks to the church at Ephesus, their problem was, yeah, they had good works, but in fact, they had lost their first love. He said that back then, go back to your original works. They had their original works and Ephesus just kind of faded down. They were still doing good things, but they lost so much of what was going on. Thyatira starts out, and they are growing in their walk with Christ, in their excitement for Christ, in their service of one another, in their care for the name of Jesus Christ. They are doing a phenomenal job in Christ to seeing them grow in every way. Remember, all of these letters are put together in one book called the book of Revelation. And this was actually sent out then by messenger to the churches and they would stop at a church and read the whole letter off. So by the time you get to Thyatira, you're like, you're the fourth guy in line. You're hearing three other churches being read off and they got some things to work on, you know? And as they're getting read out and now he's reading all this off about you and this is what's going on in your church and this is how well you're doing. You had to be like, man, I am liking hearing this, right? Super appreciative of all the compliment and encouragement that Christ is giving. And then the next words he says is, but I have this against you. Oh, great. All right, here we go. Like, this is the uh-oh. Everybody say uh-oh. But I have this against you. Uh-oh. Okay, so what are we going to talk through? And Christ gives this challenge. He said, I have this against you that you tolerate. I'm just going to hold right there. Let that settle that you tolerate. And this is a super huge deal that we grasp the problem intolerance along the way. And we're going to talk more about it here and in a little bit, but we got to make sure we grasp this. Have you ever noticed how some cultures are all about honesty and maybe other cultures are about hard work and, and some cultures are maybe even about family or something like that. And our culture in America has very quickly shifted to being all about tolerance. Please note Christ's challenge to the problem in the church. Down with tolerance. 
Let's make sure we understand that because real quickly we can take this definition of the word and all of a sudden we shift it and it sounds like we're saying no love. And it's not that at all. Definitely love the Lord your God, love others, caring, sacrificial along the way. So what's a good definition of tolerance? I just wrote these words down, ready? Tolerance, it's allowing without any confronting. It's allowing without any confronting. Tolerance, you just let it go. Allowing without any confronting. Christ is saying, not that. Be careful in the church, watch out. So there's an allowing without confronting. He says that you tolerate. What is he tolerating? It says that you tolerate that woman Jezebel. Apparently, there is one specific woman within the church that is starting a teaching that is tearing the place apart. And this woman, Jezebel, maybe she's actually named that. Maybe that's really her name. That's an unfortunate name. Or maybe this is a metaphor to her name. But either way, this is tying back to an Old Testament passage. And the woman, Jezebel, was a queen who ended up marrying one of the kings of Israel and basically brought sin inside the camp, challenged them to go after different sins just to be okay with it, just to let it go. Sound familiar to last week and the sin of Balaam? And just sort of letting the sin sort of hang in there and it tore the king down and it tore the nation down. The sin of Jezebel was to bring temptation inside and tear down from the inside. And he's like, you have been tolerant to her. Be careful and watch out. Take your stand and hold on. Remember we talked last week about the sin of Balaam and really you could break it into three words. Tolerance is where it starts, but it leads then to celebration. As you allow it without any confrontation at first, then you start moving into celebration Look at how good we are at allowing this. See how open we are. See how understanding. And then over into participation. Tolerance to celebration to participation. And in fact, that's the same model that Jezebel is using here as she tears down from the inside, calling them to sin. And the church has been just allowing her to take this position. Now, here's a little bit about Jezebel. It says, who calls herself a prophetess who calls herself, everybody say, that's a problem. Dude, self-proclaimed anything is not worth a bit, right? Who calls herself a prophetess. She's like, God speaks to me and tells me to tell you. I just want you to know that I am a self-proclaimed prophetess. God's telling me and I'm telling you and you need to know. Right? This is not, there's been proof through signs and other things. This is her own mouth and her own words as she declares her own abilities. And she lifts herself up and says, you need to listen to me. And so standing in the midst of the church, somehow as prophetess, declaring things that Jesus has to say, she begins to shift it from Jesus to Jesus and. That's what's happening. She's moving to the Jesus and plan. And she's calling people along the way. Sure, you can trust in Jesus. That's great. Yeah, sure, Jesus. And, and then it gives us what else right after it. As she teaches them and calls them out. It says, and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food offered to idols. Sexual immorality and food offered to idols. Does that sound familiar to the other three letters? Have you noticed how these churches that are living close by each other within tens of miles, they're all struggling with the same stuff. 
We're seeing the same things go down. And she's beginning to say, well, look, the community, like this is one of the things they do. And so we're partnering with them. And, and, and so we're going to end up celebrating along with them. And all of a sudden, she's inviting them into temple prostitution and sleeping with women in order to get good with the general gods and just getting along with the community, being understanding of and calling into that. Or maybe the sexual prostitution kind of thing isn't just of the physical form, but also of the spiritual as there starts to become a worship of other than Jesus Christ. The reality is she's starting to draw them down into something other than Jesus only. It's becoming the Jesus and plan. And she's inviting them now to holiness problems, to taking sexuality and tearing it down, to try to use it as a way to get good with God, but in fact, it's the exact opposite. And then in fact, going further than that, going even to eating foods offered to idols where these people would eat the meats that had been sacrificed to idols, trying to worship that idol and get a little bit better with them. Now, I'm just going to be super clear about foods offered to idols, all right? So you might want to write this chapter down. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul has a very clear statement about food offered to idols. And in 1 Corinthians 8, Paul basically says, all foods are clean. Like, feel free to do whatever you want there, but... If your heart is set where you're doing this, being drawn into a worship of that idol, that's a problem. So look, all foods in general are clean. And if you start to eat food that's offered to an idol because you're like, it's not dragging me down, man. I don't care. That idol doesn't exist. I worship Jesus Christ alone. Maybe you're fine with that. And the guy next to you starts getting dragged in. Jezebel is doing exactly that. She's dragging people in to starting to worship, eating some of the food offered to idols, and these people are tripping up into what becomes a Jesus and then also idols plan. This is about the worship that's going on, not just the consumption of the food, all right? Paul's been super clear of that in 1 Corinthians 8. The food is fine, but the worship that's attached to it, not fine. Ready? And all of God's people said, and he's like, be careful. There's a tearing down. The community is ripping, being ripped apart by her, and you need to take the stand. And uh, what does it look like to have no tolerance? What does it look like to actually come at it from a different angle? So I'm going to put these words to it. Use these words, patient endurance. That's our goal when we're dealing with sin and somebody dealing with sin. Patient endurance, not tolerance. Tolerance is a terrible word. Tolerance comes with other problems. Tolerance means allowing without confronting. Forget tolerance. Everybody say tolerance is bad. I know some of you are like, but is it? I thought that was a good word. Like, be careful, man, because we've started to blend the two together and it creates a problem. Tolerance means allowing without any confronting and that's a problem, okay? And so patient endurance, what does that look like then? Well, here's three steps or three things that are a part of patient endurance. Are you ready? Three things that are a part of patient endurance. Number one, sacrificial love. Sacrificial love. That's what's a part of patient endurance. It starts with loving God, loving others. I'm putting myself on the line and I'm laying it out there. I care for you. You matter. Sacrificial love is a part of patient endurance. Okay? Second, and this is a big one, call to repentance. This is patient endurance, calling to drop 
to sin. A call to repentance, asking the person who's steeped in sin, just saying, man, I love you. You are tearing yourself down. This is gonna hurt you. Would you please let that go? It needs to be done. Worship your God with all you've got. Down with that sin, man. I love you too much to not say anything. Call to repentance. That is a huge deal in the patient endurance moment. It does talk about the sin and confront. So I love you, and I'm calling you to repentance. And number three, with some time attached to allowing there to be a changing of the heart. With time attached. That's the third step. Being patient means you're giving it some time. Okay? Patient endurance. Loving, calling to repentance, with time attached and allowing them to be able to work it through with their God. May God get all the glory. All right? Well, where do you get these three steps from, Tim? Well, take a look at what Christ says about how he worked with Jezebel. Here we go. He says, first of all, I gave her time. Everybody say time. Patient endurance will involve allowing some time to lapse. An immediacy of the statement and asking for it to immediately change isn't really what's going on here. It's this needs to change. You've got to see this and giving it a little bit of time and allowing them to get called across. Okay? So time. It says, I gave her time to repent. Everybody say repent. Right? To let go of this sin and be done. To repent of it. And so those are the last two there. And then it says, but she refused to repent of her sexual immorality. He's like, I have loved on her. I've cared for her. I've reached in with her. I've challenged her. I've been convicting from within her soul. I've called her to repentance and I put time on the clock and she's not responding. Everybody say, that's a problem. And we're going to see what kind of problem in just a little bit in the passage. So let me just say this. This is a huge deal. Patient endurance, not tolerance. Man, this is a big deal when you start looking at our world and you look at all the tolerance that's going on and being spoken of and everything that's being called out. Get ready to be able to take your stand and make it much about Christ. Now, let me make this really clear. Remember, what we're talking about here is inside the church. Everybody say inside the church. For those who are calling themselves saved, for those who are saying, I'm following Christ, for those who are saying, I get what it's all about and I'm running with him, oh yeah, and I'm also in sin. That's who we're talking about. For taking some time with those inside the church and dealing with them lovingly, calling to repentance, time and patience along the way for there to be change inside the church. Everybody say inside the church. What about outside the church? What about people that aren't saved? What does it look like with them? How does patient endurance roll? Let me make this really clear. Outside the church, take your stand clearly that you follow Jesus Christ. And don't shift. Don't step off of what's right and what's true. You stand with it and you make it clear, here's where I stand. This is where I'm at. But please hear me on this. The next call is not for holiness. Don't ask them to start changing their behaviors when they don't know the God of the universe yet. The invite is for them to know Jesus Christ as Savior. The statement to be shared is gospel message. Do you know the God I know? He's rocked my world. 
Man, the privilege we have in stepping out into this world is we take a stand and we share the hope of Jesus Christ and we love on this world and we watch God do a work. May God get all the glory. Outside the church walls, we're loving and we're sharing the gospel. Clear stand on what's right and wrong, but we love and share the gospel. Inside the church, call to holiness is very appropriate. We know the God of the universe. He has died for our sin and we are saved. May God get all the glory. Ready? And all of God's people said, dude, there's some big distinctions in there. This is super important to nail down, all right? I just want to say, a number of years back, uh, I had started working at a church up north. I was working at a church in Naperville. That was our first church as we came out of the business world. I was in engineering for like 17 years, and I realized as I was preaching the first service that I've now actually been pastoring longer than I was in engineering. Uh, Praise God for that. And uh, super excited for it, but a number of years back, whatever it's been, 18, 19 years back, I was talking to the pastor there and we were connecting on how to handle some things going on with somebody struggling with sin. And he said, listen, this quote just sat with me and it's changed how I approach ministry. He said, listen, here's the deal. Our passion has to be that we are not just looking to be friends with them for the next few minutes because we're avoiding all conflict. Our passion has to be that we are gonna be friends with them for the next five years, 10 years, 20 years because we stand by their side, we love them and we're calling them to the hardest walk of all but worshiping Christ with all they've got. We call them to the hard task. We don't just avoid all the conflict so we can have a friend for the next few seconds. That was a huge mindset shift to start to understand that sometimes the best and most loving words you can say is, bro, I love you. That's got to change. That's going to tear you up. I'm standing with you, but that's got to change. May God get all the glory. That is a huge call out. So simple call out. How are you doing with patient endurance? How are you doing with taking a stand with your God and caring for those around you as you call to holiness? And how are you sharing the gospel message of Jesus Christ into this world? May God get all the glory. And all of God's people said, amen, man, huge deal. Point number two, hold fast to Jesus with all you have and set aside any distractions. Hold fast to Jesus with all you have and set aside any distractions. He starts out and he says, behold. And when we see the word behold, we say, yeah, check it out, man. This is Jesus talking. And he's like, look at this. Check this out. Behold. And then he gets pretty direct about how he's going to deal with somebody who will not set down their sin and will tear others down. He's talking about Jezebel here. And he says, I will throw her onto a sick bed. And those who commit adultery with her, I will throw, her, throw them into grow, uh, great tribulation. This is a huge deal. He's like, I'm just telling you it's going to get hard. This is going to be difficult. Now, please hear me on this. This is not, everybody say not. This is not somebody who's struggling with sin and then goes, oh, Lord, this is wrong. Please forgive me. I'm done with it. I'm going back with you. And they're walking with Christ and they're walking along and then all of a sudden they trip and stumble and they're like, oh, Lord, please forgive me. This is wrong. I'm setting this down. I'm coming to you. It's not that. Repentance steps us out and you're going to see that in a second. This is the person who steps into it and goes, so what? 
And somebody says, dude, that's got to change. And they're like, it won't. By the way, you should come with me. You should test this. You should try this. You should see how great it is. Come join me in the Jesus and plan. And like, I don't care that it's wrong. And I'm standing in the sin and I'm calling others to it. And I'm going to tear this church down from the inside out. That's who we're talking about. That's what's going on as Christ gets very direct here. And he's like, just so we're clear, there's going to be sickness. There's going to be tough tribulation. Man, it can involve health issues. It can involve circumstance issues. There could be a lot of struggle going on. Certainly conviction inside the soul as the Holy Spirit is pressing there. And man, call out big time. And God putting a firm word down. I just wrote these words down. The costs of tearing down God's church are massive. Don't toy around. The costs of tearing down God's church, massive. Man, be careful. Digging deep into sin and inviting others to join with and not ever walking away, huge problem. But remember, this isn't talking about the one who steps away. Look what he says next. Unless, everybody say unless, unless they repent of their works. Repentance, I'm done, Lord, please forgive me. That shouldn't have happened, it's wrong. I'm with you, I love you, you're on fire, you're the one, you're the God who, and then you're walking with him. There may be a next stumble, but there'll be a next repent. We're not talking about that guy. We're talking about the guy who willfully defies and tears the church down and doesn't care that. And Jesus Christ takes a firm stand. Let's just put it this way. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Man, don't kid yourself. Jesus Christ is not joking around, and when he says the gates of hell will not prevail, he will take the stand. He will assure a health in the church, and those who are tearing it down, he will assure some sort of removal. May God get all the glory. And in the midst of the removal, he is assuring that his sheep continue to grow. I'll just say it this way. A true shepherd cares for his sheep and nurtures them and grows them and shoots the wolf. And that's shepherding. And Christ is like, I am going to be very clear. I will not toy around. Watch out. In fact, we even see it go one step further. He then says, and I will strike her children. Here we're talking about an understanding of and a philosophy of and the seducing and the teaching of. So this probably means those who are following, those who are agreeing, those who are coming alongside with, these are children in the faith or following, if you will. And he's like, and I will strike them. And he uses the word dead here. It's the appropriate word. Now, whether that means it's physical loss of life, this is a sin that leads to death kind of thing, or if this means actually just removal from any influence in the church, it's over. Either way, he's like, I will not let that continue. I will take the stand. Note this, Christ is making it clear to this church, heads up, the people who aren't moving are going to feel it. And that letter gets read out. And then in time, all of a sudden, you start seeing it happen to them. Can you imagine how that woke the church up as they saw those things coming down? And it says, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. And Jesus Christ, he's the king of the universe. He is the God almighty. He is absolutely the one who died to cover sin. May we not toy with sin.
Again, back to the statement of, of patient endurance. I love you. I love you too much to let you just sit in a sin that will tear you apart. Let it go, repent, and come back to Jesus. After all those heavy words, he ends up saying, but to the rest of you in Thyatira, can you imagine being one of the rest? You're like, I'm glad we're going to hear a little bit for us, right? But to the rest of you who do not hold to this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, please note here, this is like a quote. He's like, just as Jezebel was selling it, she's like, you should come across the Jesus and the finding a way to use what the world has and it's the deeper things of Satan. Have you ever noticed how Satan loves to celebrate himself and come up with ridiculous words like deep things of Satan? Dude, these are not deep things of Satan. These are straight out sin and it's tearing people down. And in the deep things of Satan, Christ is like, please set that aside. Down with making much of sin. Down with finding a way to brag about the sin. That's exactly what's going on here. And he's like, for those of you who stayed away from it, he says, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Like it's been hard enough for you to hold the ground and take your stand. Nice job, keep it going. And he says it to the end, only hold fast to what you have until I come. Jesus' second coming mentioned here, and there's like, hold fast to Jesus. Cling to him and hang on. Taking your stand, loving along the way, making it clear what needs to go, may God get all the glory. All right. So as an illustrate to this, uh, we used this illustrate a couple years back, but it's a really powerful illustrate. So let's just kind of line it up here. Ready? So, for people who want to try to capture monkeys in Africa, I know you're like, how does that apply at all, right? Just hang on. For people who are trying to capture monkeys in Africa, one of the things that they would do, very simple, is they would go to a stone wall and they would actually cut a little tiny hole in the wall and inside they would make a bigger hole. And so as you, you kind of take a banana, you put it inside and set it in there. So the monkeys would come up, they would smell the banana, they would reach inside and they would grab the banana. But once they were holding it, as they pulled back, their fist was too big to come out of the hole. And they were stuck. They were stuck. All they have to do is let go and pull their hand out, but they weren't about to let go. So they're clinging to this banana, holding on with all they've got, and they're stuck and freaking out. And the people would come up, and all they have to do is just kind of force their arm to just release a little bit. And as they release the banana, they slide it out, and they've got them captured to do whatever they're going to do next. The reality is the grabbing onto the banana had them trapped And all it was was enticement. Do you see how good it could be? Grabbing on and then you hold on to the and plan. Where this scripture says grab on to Jesus and Jesus only. It's this simple. Letting go, repenting, and pulling out your hand. And you are free. Jesus is like, please hear me. Repent, pull out, and come to me. May God get all the glory. So here's a simple question. What's your banana? What's the thing that draws you, that causes you to reach in and grab and you're holding on with all you've got and you don't wanna let go? What's the thing that has you letting or stuck so much and really all it would take is the releasing and the pulling out, repenting and you're free. 
What sin are you so easily entangled with? And hand it to your God. May he get all the glory. And all of God's people said, amen, man. And quickly here with point number three. Be a conqueror for Jesus, and you will rule with him over the nations. Be a conqueror for Jesus. You will rule with him over the nations. It says, the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end. To the one who conquers and keeps my works, right? This is the one who's saved. Everybody say saved. Right, for we are all more than conquerors. If you are saved, you are absolutely going to experience victory. There can be ebb and flow, but Christ guaranteeing to grow you along the way and to absolutely build into your heart, you saved and on fire for him, more than conquerors. And so, yes, to those who are conquerors, to those who are following through on the works to the end, saved, he says, I will give authority over the nations and he will rule them with an iron rod. He's like, I am going to give those who are saved, the church who is absolutely saved and brought home to heaven with glorified body and perfect soul, I'm going to give you the responsibility of ruling over the nations. Get this, man. When Jesus Christ returns, the next thousand years is Christ ruling on this earth physically, the nations represented, and the church, us believers, who are saved, who have been raised up, glorified bodies, now perfect with him, we get the chance to rule alongside him. Some throne, some area, some responsibility, you with Christ ruling for that thousand years as you watch him rock this world. Man, that's what's promised to come. Jesus Christ comes and then that rule. And us, having been raptured up, having been taken up, we end up with this perfect glorified body, changed soul forever, perfect leadership. We're not leading from our sinfulness. We're leading in our perfection. And all of God's people said, and man, what a sweet privilege as we work with Christ. In fact, it says in Revelation 19 that Christ will rule the nations with an iron rod. As he comes back, he will take over. It says in Revelation 20, verse 4, that those who are saved, those who are with Jesus, those are the ones who will sit on thrones alongside of him. That's what this is talking about. Ruling in the millennial kingdom with Christ, may he get all the glory. Man, this is a huge privilege for us. You might be like, well, what's it look like? What am I going to do? I have no idea. Like it doesn't say that in scripture. All it says is Christ is ruling and we get the privilege of being alongside. May God get all the glory. And he says at the end here, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, we have real leadership, real power, real authority as we lead. He says, even as I myself have received authority from my father, Jesus Christ has all the power and all the authority. Colossians 1 says he absolutely has this authority. Revelation 19 does. Revelation 20 does. Man, we are going to come alongside Jesus and serve forever. And the promise that comes with it, he says, and I will give him the morning star. And uh, there's a number of different talks about the morning star, but I'll tell you this. Revelation 22 verse 16, Jesus says, and I am the bright and morning star. Revelation 22, verse 16, as Christ says, I am giving you the morning star. He's saying, I'm giving you myself. I'm giving you relationship with me for all eternity. I am letting you know that my glory is going to rock your world. I'm telling you, I am going to stun you with all that's going to take place. Hang on. Perfection forever. 
No more pain, no more sorrow, no more heartache, and Christ has it in hand. And all of God's people said, and that's our hope as we move with him. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Same recipe that we saw in the other three letters. He who has an ear to hear. For the one at the time of John who heard this, that applied to them. For the ones who heard it read over the course of time. For us today, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. May we worship the God of the universe. May we let go of sin. May it be the Jesus only plan, not the Jesus and plan. And all of God's people said, let's pray.